0: Good afternoon and welcome everyone. Today's session is entitled using social emotional learning for organizational integration. Before we get started, as a courtesy to our speakers and everyone else, we'd like for you to silence your cell phones, please. And I'd like to remind you that the handouts are available online at www.ohioschoolboards.org mhsel-summit-info. And this information is available on page three of your program. There's also an ongoing learning opportunity with shared information that can be found at www.leadingourlearners.org. And this information is on page three of your program as well. Following the summit, you'll be receiving an email with a link to evaluate this session as well as a certificate of participation. Lastly, there will be a Q&A immediately following the session so without further ado, I'd like to introduce our esteemed panel from Olentangy Local School District.
1: Thank you. Good afternoon. Can you guys hear me okay? Everyone hear me? Awesome. Um, Hopefully you had a nice lunch break this afternoon. Uh, My name is Katie Branson. I am the coordinator of student well-being at Olentangy Local Schools. And I'm going to start our panel this afternoon just by giving you a little bit of background information um, to give our discussion today a little bit of context. So uh, recently, Olentangy underwent a rebranding project. Project, excuse me. We began this rebranding project by reflecting upon what we wanted our brand identity to be. So this meant identifying what we really care about, uh, reflecting on why we are important as an organization, and then, of course, understanding what it means to be part of the Olin Olentangy organization. Essentially, we had to embrace what it is that we truly value. So we knew our district excels in terms of academic achievement and opportunity for students. Uh, Olin Tangi has an A district um, rating in terms of our state report card. Our graduation rate is 98.7 perspe- percent, respectively, and students at Olin Tangi have access to 23 AP courses. Our average ACT score is a 25 and students in Olin Olentangy can participate in more than 203 student activity clubs and we also have 30 varsity sports just to give you an idea the Ohio State University offers 37 varsity sports and while all of these wonderful accolades illustrate what makes Olentangy so great we referred back to our district mission which is to facilitate maximum learning for every student so we began to reflect on this mission statement, that we facilitate maximum learning for every student. And we understood that maximum learning is, just more, is more than just academics and extracurricular opportunities. So in saying that, we wanted to incorporate this into our new brand to reflect this idea. So in the spring of 2019, we introduced our new brand. All Tangy schools flourish here. So this new brand and tagline reflects our view of maximum learning as it relates to the whole child. In order to flourish, we know that we must give students more than academic opportunities. We mm-hmm. have to provide an organizational culture which nurtures student well-being, celebrates diversity, focuses on equitable student outcomes, and supports the continual learning for all of our organizational members. So, similar to the process we underwent during our (coughs) rebranding project, we saw a lot of value in stepping back in order to move forward. So we decided to take the same approach of stepping back to move forward when we approach socio-emotional learning and character development. So by reflecting on those many pieces that make up our organization, we thought of ways in which we could use social-emotional learning to integrate the work that we do throughout our organization. Um, By no means are we SEL experts. Uh, However, our goal today is to discuss our journey as learners, both successes and our opportunities still for growth towards creating a community where students can flourish. This means we have chosen to step back in order to understand how we can integrate SEL into the many pieces of our organization. So I will go ahead and introduce our panel today. Next to me is Alicia Behrens. She is Olin Tangi's Supervisor of Student Well-Being. Uh, next is Dr. Jackie Merkel. She is our Supervisor of Equity and Inclusion. Um, next is Do- uh, Morgan Nagel. You can call me Doctor. <laughs> we will <love laughs> call her Doctor. Um, and she is our Supervisor of RTI for the district. And last but not least is Mr. Vince Datilio. He is our supervisor for professional learning. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Alicia um, to talk a little bit about the work our district um, is doing with socio-emotional learning and character development. Thank you.
2: All right, so I'm Alicia Barents, I'm the supervisor of student well-being at Olentangy. My role was created four years ago um, to really look at this um, supporting the whole child and trying to figure out, yes, we have high academic achievement in our district, but we also have a big gap between those kids who are doing really well and those kids who are not. And what's going on with those kids who are not and how can we help them get to the point where they are also, we're also facilitating their maximum learning. And so my role was created, it was a brand new position, and they put me under the pupil services umbrella. And my background is actually in mental health. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. I've consulted and worked in schools previously, but hadn't worked in a school district specifically in this type of a role. So one of the things that I had to do was figure out what does my mental health background look like in a school district. So rather than just come in and say, okay, here's what we're going to do, we're going to put this in place, we're going to put that in place, here are the different programs we're going to do. I really took my first year in the district to kind of look at what was going on in Olin Olentangy what do the students look like, what are the things that, are, that they're struggling with, what programs do we already have in place, what are we doing well, and then what can we do better in. So when I started, um, we had three um, social workers, school social workers, and then one uh, county provided mental health liaison in the district. And so obviously when I started we had 18,000 students I believe, that was a very minimal amount of mental health support for those students. We had school counselors in every building, which was also helpful, but again, too many kids needed help to have that be one school counselor and then three social workers for the entire district. Um, so one of the things that I looked at was I really took an inventory of what we call in Olentangy non-academic barriers. So what are the things that our students are struggling with outside of specific learning issues that are getting in the way of their learning? So we comprised a huge list that ended up being way bigger than what, what all could be um, non-academic barriers. Um, and then tried to narrow it down to, well, what are the main things that our kids are struggling with? So people think Olentangy, well, um, with where we're located and we're a high socioeconomic district and things like that, that our kids don't have issues. We live in a, a world of sunshine and rainbows, and our kids aren't struggling with anything, which is very much not true. Um, Katie came from Columbus City probably thinking the same thing and she realized that it just looks a little bit different and we have a a bit more some of our families have a bit more money to put towards resources but our kids are struggling just as much as um, some of the inner-city kids it just looks quite a bit different so we have students in Olin Tangi who are in low socioeconomic um, areas, and that they are living. We have some families who are living in Olin Tangi, and we would maybe consider them like working poor. Their parents are working as much as they can to afford to live in Olin Tangi because they want that um, great school district, and so uh, otherwise they're struggling financially. So we have kids with food insecurity. We have displaced and homeless students um, who might come and live in the district, but then for whatever reason, um, end up displaced, whether it be their not able to afford living there or they have a house fire or uh, different things so um, we don't just have kids who are living in very expensive houses and have all of these resources to them but on the other hand if, it doesn't matter if we have a student who's living in a half million dollar house their parent could still be neglectful or could still be abusing them or could still be addicted to a substance so we have kids who are struggling with a wide variety of things but when we narrowed it down it really came down to we have a lot of kids struggling with anxiety anxiety is really really high in Olentangy and we have a great amount of pressure that's put on them both intrinsically and then from their parents and their teachers as well um, so we really started to look at how could we support these um, students and I had to look at it from an educational mindset. So how can I, when I first started people are like who are you, what are you doing here, why is this important? So I really had to look at how can I talk to these educators in a way that would make sense to them. So I used kind of the RTI model to look at these three tiers of support. And so we ended up putting in three tiers of mental health support. Whereas the universal preventions are our school counselors. So they're doing in classroom presentations, um, some small groups, and things like that. And then we also use some community resources to come in and do universal preventions as well. And then we have secondary support, which is our school social workers. And then we recently have added in mental health specialists in our district as well. So um, at this point with um, those levels of support um, as well as some interns that we get for free which is nice, <laughs> we went from having three school social workers and one mental health liaison to 19 mental health staff at this point. Um, and We still unfortunately don't have enough support. We're still trying to work on that, but it is certainly growing and getting better at this point. So, the tiers that we have are a little fluid, so some school counselors are doing some tier two work as well. Some school social workers are doing some one, some two, and some three, Um, but we try to keep that kind of as clear as we can so, again, the teachers and um, administrators can understand kind of what everyone's role is and what everyone should be doing. One thing I wasn't able to do a lot of focusing on when I first started because I was putting out so many fires was our SEL curriculum and how are we integrating social emotional learning into the classroom on a regular basis because health teachers and school counselors cannot do it all. Um, So luckily last year I was able to add Katie's position as the coordinator um, and with her background in teaching and learning she was really able to start delving into the prevention curriculum that we're working on in Olin Olentangy.
1: Thank you um, yes, as Alicia said, my background is in teaching and learning. I'm a recovering social studies teacher um, and administrator, school administrator. Um, so I came in to really focus on those tier one efforts and it just coincided as the state came out with SEL standards um, to really support the work we were doing. Castle was really developing um, so. I like this uh, diagram here of talking about those non-academic barriers because it really and truly covers everything from students with anxiety to um, students who are parents who are deployed in the military, um, homeless students, um, uh, even things like safety and security, um, substance use, physical health, mental health, so really a wide range of services and education. Uh, we felt that we needed to ensure that students were receiving. Um, one of the pieces when I first started in the district, um, like Alicia said, was really doing a needs assessment of what our non-academic barriers were specifically for our students and because Tangi is such a large district, uh, that could look really different <laughs> uh, depending on uh, the area of the district, the demographic of students, Um, but also one of the pieces I looked at was gathering student voice. I felt that was really critical to my role. Um, A lot of times as adults we think we know best um, and I think we do pursue education and prevention for students with good intentions but we often probably as adults don't always know the best way and most effective way to reach young people Uh, so through uh, Panorama uh, we've been collecting some information from our students um, about uh, their perspectives with things everything from their sense of belonging teacher-student relationships um, safety um, which are all key components for really directing prevention services uh, throughout our district Um, also using information that information to really understanding the school climate and culture to really implement um, some SEL pieces um, that would be meaningful and effective in our district Um, so a lot of my position is to sort through what has become a flood of SEL programs and curriculum and resources and it's a great thing that we have a lot to choose from but sometimes it's overwhelming and a lot of these um, products in many cases are not research-based um, and we also wanted to give our um, teachers and our staff the autonomy to select what works best for them in their classrooms um, a lot of the feedback we get is, you know I teach math I'm not a, a trained psychologist and you know we've time and time again and gone back to the idea but you can provide mental health first aid to any student you can build relationships with any student that doesn't necessarily take a special training um, or degree um, or certification Um, and another piece um, that I'm also looking at is that huge component of family and um, parent education and um, linking our families with uh, community-based services but again not only are we changing that culture within the district but really changing especially um, in a high achieving district changing the um, culture with our parents that letting students fail is okay giving them permission to let their students <laughs> fail and try again and questioning ideas of what is perfect and what does that look like and and um, really trying to integrate that into what we're doing as a
3: district hello um, my name is Jackie Merkel and I'm the supervisor of equity and inclusion for Olentangy local schools um, so my role predominantly focuses on diversity efforts throughout the district that's outreach into communities um, parent support it's a lot of professional learning with staff and administrators um, but I do a lot of collaborative work also with all the folks up here on stage so I wanted to talk and share a little bit about why and how it's important to bring an equity lens to the work of SEL um, As some of you may know, there's also a lot of information on CASEL as well about how to integrate equity with SEL. Um, But what we know is when looking at, for our district, when we're thinking about facilitating maximum learning for every student, Equity is this idea that if you need something, you get something, and so we need to really see what are the types of things that our students need. We need to know their identities, we need to know about their experiences, and we need to know about um, their backgrounds to effectively help them to flourish in our district. So we know that students who are experiencing things like racism, sexism, homophobia, they're going to have a much harder time flourishing and um, thriving in academic and non-academic experiences so that's kind of how my work is integrated with the folks up here. There are two specific efforts that I really wanted to highlight where our work has overlapped significantly Um, and both of these two things that I'd like to talk about um, one being trauma-informed care and or trauma-informed schools and the other being uh, restorative practices, they both require significant mindset shifts away from kind of the traditional view that we have on students and and looking at student behavior and how we handle um, behaviors that might appear dysregulated. So when we look at trauma-informed care, um, we talk a lot about how, you know, and this this also harkens back to what Alicia had mentioned, that a lot of people see, and even teachers in our district, might have a misconception that our students have not experienced trauma because we are a high-achieving and a wealthier district. Um, but what we talk about with trauma-informed care is the idea that trauma is, number one, very common, and number two, that it is subjective. So something that's traumatic to me may or may not be traumatic to my colleagues up here. Um, Um, The second is the idea that all behavior has some type of purpose and that it's meant to communicate something, often an unsolved problem or an unmet need. So a lot of times I think we get defensive and we kind of, we have certain reactions to different behaviors without really digging into the why are these behaviors happening? What are they trying to communicate about that unsolved problem or unmet need? Um, and the third assumption that we we advance is this idea that we all do well if we can so nobody is out here trying to not be the best version of themselves we all want to do well put our best foot forward um, and be seen in a good light and so looking at <clears throat> what are the conditions that are preventing someone whether it's a parent whether it's a staff member whether it's a student from being able to do well and how can we help to um, eliminate those barriers that are standing in their way so a lot of it is that, that mindset shift, as I mentioned, away from kind of the looking at this behavior and saying, well, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing that? that frustrated kind of mentality and flipping it to what's going on with you or how can I help you, how can we problem-solve together, some of what you heard um, from Kathy's speech this morning as well. The ultimate goal of this really is to foster resiliency to overcome some of the past trauma that students have and a lot of the brain research actually show that through building meaningful relationships with people around you, whether they're peers, whether they're adults, it can actually physically help to restore harm that was done to the brain, um, which will have long-term impacts because we know that trauma in whatever Form that that may come um, and and stress adverse childhood experiences, they have long-term implications and are correlated with um, higher rates of negative health outcomes, um, lower educational achievement, and diminished relationships. So we're taking an approach in our district where we are training everybody. So we are not just looking at training our educators, but we're also working with food service staff and clinic aides and transportation drivers because everybody interacts with other people in the organization. This isn't just a student-focused initiative, this is a human-focused initiative because we've all experienced um, different traumatic experiences. Um, And so engaging in this way is not just good for students or adults who are traumatized, but for all who who you come into contact with. We really focus on kind of five five main buckets when looking at different strategies when we're training staff members and those are relationship building, um, developing a sense of purpose and self worth, um, looking at self care and and how important it is to truly set aside time to care for yourself, um, perspective shift and then also regulation. Uh, The second kind of effort that really brings our work together is looking at restorative practices which oftentimes you'll hear restorative justice, restorative discipline, we just call it restorative practices. but really what this is, is restorative practices draw on um, indigenous practices and they're a set of tools that are really used to respond to uh, wrongdoing that happens, but within a culture of care. So the intent is really focusing on repairing harm and restoring relationships. So rather than that traditional view of being punitive, it's looking at, you know again, sort of that unsolved problem, unmet needs, skill that a student doesn't have um, in the SEL realm and how can we help to educate them, develop them, and restore those relationships that were broken through that wrongdoing. Um, It it really helps to address some of the inequity that we see in a lot of our districts in Ohio in the disciplinary data that, you know, we hear talking a lot about the school-to-prison pipeline and students of color, students um, in special education services are being pushed out at a disproportionate rate that leads them to uh, a higher likelihood of being incarcerated later on in life. These restorative practices are there to help to support um, students in a nurturing way to overcome um, to overcome some of some of those barriers that they have, um, so it also through restorative practices it, it really helps us to identify not just um, the academic issues where the student might be struggling, but also the non-academic barriers and their specific needs. Um, restorative practices can be looked at in three tiers as well, um, and you'll see that with a lot of us. There's kind of that you know, universal approach, moving up to um, more targeted, specific. And, and right now in our district, we're focused a lot on the tier two and tier three just out of necessity, um, but we're going to be looking at how to implement kind of the tier one level of that here soon. Um, But those are just two aspects, kind of, of what my role entails. I also listed up here um, in this chart some of the other aspects. Uh, Equity and inclusion also focuses a lot on looking at data, which is where all of our kind of roles, again, like intersect, um, building relationships with the community, and then ongoing professional learning and awareness um, around a variety of different diversity and social justice topics.
4: Hello everybody. I'm Morgan Nagel. I'm the curriculum supervisor of RTI um, and this slide pretty much captures the standard achievement of a lot of our students in the district currently. This is our third grade winter benchmark so you can see that 90% of our students right now are on target to meet end-of-year benchmark. Um, I'm showing you this to to kind of set the stage that while that is great on the surface and a lot of you are probably saying whoa yeah we'd be smacking hands like congratulating with you on that. We are too, but we can't stop the interpretation there. Because even within that green, we have students who might be struggling with anxiety, we have students who might be struggling with behaviors, whatever that might be. We can't stop there and just assume that we are only focused on the students that are in red or in yellow. These are all of our students and we're all working towards kind of improving that student experience for them. So we need to make sure that we are guaranteeing that every student in every classroom is getting the opportunity to flourish and what are those guarantees that we are saying is required for all of our students because we are a large school district we have 15 elementary schools five middle schools and four high schools how can we say that the students are getting a similar experience across that large district when we are so like I'm one person for the entire district so it really is a large job um, which can often lead to us kind of being siloed because there are people in these roles you know a lot of times in other districts you might have four people in one one role so they're only having to collaborate with one one another or integrate with themselves but for us in order to really make it manageable for a building because if we all come with our initiatives we all come with this purpose of here we need you to do these things for your students it becomes really overwhelming so we have to integrate what it is that we do on a regular basis RTI was in the district to begin with so a lot of the efforts have started to kind of be integrated through that so when we sit down and we look at this data we aren't just looking at their academic data I know RTI is academic in nature, but my job, I feel like, is to help empower schools to look at data beyond that academic data. Um, And sometimes our teachers might think that students are struggling because they're not turning in their homework, and then when we go look at our national norms, they're in the 80th percentile. So that gives us a different conversation of, you know, what is it that they're struggling with. How can we help people get to the root cause of what it is that they are struggling with? Because right now, the data that we see is not that they're struggling with reading. Um, I know they're not turning in their homework on your class, but do you have a relationship with them? Is there something relationship-wise that we can work on that might also impact that student achievement? So we really focus on growth In the district as opposed to just achievement because on the surface achievement looks great but when you do have a high achieving school district it is hard to continue to make sure that it's growing every student is flourishing when you have a lot of 99 percentiles across the district you know how are we meeting those needs as well so we have to continue to have those conversations that's all-encompassing of all of the data and not so siloed so we can make sure that we're seeing that whole picture of um, the students and not just a quick little snapshot of a universal screener that they did one time. So,
5: yeah, we'll knock that over. Good afternoon. <laughs> my name is Vince Detilio. I'm the supervisor of professional learning in Olentangy and I think that the information that was just shared with you is just a glimpse of all four of these these roles um, and it's it's all great stuff but I think my job comes into play when from the teacher perspective it's a big ask you know all, all four or five of us are just part of different people from central office asking things of our staff so it's a steep learning curve um, I know as a teacher I wasn't well trained in social emotional learning dealing with these issues in the classroom we were just kind of doing what we thought we could do in that day so my goal for the district is to really if students are going to flourish here like we say um, then the adults have to flourish And that's meant for our district, that we need to transition from a professional development mindset to a professional learning mindset. And that might seem like just some simple interchanging words, but to us, over the last, I'd say, six years, uh, thinking what professional learning is versus professional development has been a really important shift. And it's really directed our work with SEL. So when I say say development, I think of, you know, everyone – coming in dreading that (laughs) professional development day. Um, We are going to get talked to, we are going to get trained up, and then we're going to get out of here. Okay. Um, And professional learning for us uh, really holds three main differences. And one is respecting teachers as experts. And although you might not be a mental health expert, you are an expert teacher. um, And we're going to give you some tools and respect that you know your students and and you're able to do that. Uh, Secondly is when we come together, we are not just receiving information, that we're constructing knowledge together. And that's back to the expertise part, that we are having conversations about what we think things mean, how they apply to our field, asking questions. And then the third one, and most importantly, and I think this goes for our crew of people up here too, is that letting people be learners, letting teachers be learners, and what that means simply is being reflective, stepping back to move forward, asking questions, even if you think that the questions are you know, maybe not the best question at the time, but asking why we're doing these things is a great question to start. And then finally, to take some risks in the classroom. Like we're never gonna grow, we're never gonna be more comfortable if we don't start somewhere. And, and I think that that's been a big push that ties this work together. In terms of what makes Olentangy maybe a little bit unique or different in terms of how we approach <coughs> professional learning, I think one thing we're doing different in I think there's other districts who are doing this in some form, is not saying we're focused on social-emotional learning. Because to a teacher, I think, and from a teacher's perspective, that is so broad. It's so expansive. It means so many different things that we could get really bogged down in that. And then I think the other other fear there is if we say we're focused on social-emotional learning, like what do we do next year, right? Because, like, I mean, people will say, well, we did that. Right? Like We all know that's not, it doesn't work that way. So what we've done is we've created a system where we call them lenses. So although we're focused on social emotional learning, each year we kind of put on a different set of glasses to look at that same topic. So this is really year two of this journey. In the first year we focused on um, relationships and interactions, that was our lens. So everything, when we're looking at CASEL standards and we're unpacking those, we're looking through the lens last year of relationships and interactions. This year, we're looking through uh, the lens of self-regulation, both emotional, cognitive, behavior, but really giving people a tangible, manageable focus that they feel like they can get better at. And we know that it's going really slow, honestly, uh, and I think that's probably better than going really fast. The second part is, uh, that I think makes us unique, is we have given, trying to empower teachers to take care of themselves first. Um, I would say that, you know, I am not an expert in this field at all. I'm more of a project of social-emotional learning. Like, I've gotten a lot out of leading this work in our district. Like, I feel like I'm growing professionally and personally. I constantly am going home and trying to approach my own kids (laughs) differently at home to practice these things. But trying to really let teachers know that we want you to take care of yourself first and foremost. So if you need to work on goal setting and regulation, you probably need to work on it in your own life first before you can really step up in front of kids and model that. So that was kind of the second part. And then the third piece, and this will be my last uh, thing I want to share, is just trying to hold ourselves to a standard. When, when we pull teachers from the classroom or when teachers are in front of us, that we create a meaningful learning opportunity. Just like in the classroom, that we need to have the same, they need to hold us to a really high standard when we are in front of them, that we are our best teachers that we can be, we create a great culture of learning, and we push forward. Um, In our district, we have three professional development days. Uh, The format we use now is we invite the administrators and a team of teachers to come to two sort of planning meetings where we try to make meaning out of what we're going to do on that PD day. It's not a script, but we're all trying to go down the same kind of path but let them weave in and out of things that interest their own staff. We've also implemented four building-based visits throughout the year, so where members of our curriculum team come out to collaboration time and share very small tools that teachers can implement without any planning. So really the nitty-gritty sort of stuff to build a tool belt for them. It also helps us tie together the PD throughout the year. And then the third thing we do in Olentangy, which I think is a really powerful piece of professional learning, is we have our own uh, professional development academy that offers courses at night, so all of us up here teach courses. We have teachers teaching courses. Most of them are credit-bearing. And then one thing we're able to do is to theme those courses around the PD for the year. So um, folks who are getting their license renewed, we just say, hey, this is in-district stuff. Like, you can get it done here. And then we know that it aligns to the PD. So that's sort of our three tiers uh, when we think about it that way. I think the the other one other thing I wanted to say was that and maybe go back to more, the whole idea of stepping back to move forward, that's been just as important for us as leaders as it is for teachers in their classroom and for students in their own learning. We have to kind of live and breathe the same things we're talking about with staff and students.
2: There's one thing I want to add to Vince's, if you don't mind. Yeah. Is that right? um, <laughs> so as, as Vince was talking, I it got me thinking that one of the interesting things that I, I don't know if I just now realized this, but We have been focusing on on a lot of staff development in this area and what I've found is the more we do mental health first aid and trauma informed care and self-regulation, so many staff members are realizing, oh, I didn't know I was struggling with this or I didn't know my family was struggling with this or this helped me with my own personal life, child, brother, sister, whoever it might be, um, or especially the trauma-informed care, I didn't realize that I had this many ACEs or I didn't realize that I had this trauma that affected me in this way. And our staff have been able to actually grow in a social-emotional way from a lot of the things that we're helping them learn to implement then in the classroom, but it's also helping them personally as well grow from that and then be better educators, in my opinion.
0: Now we're going to open it up to questions. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know he was finished. Oh, yeah. Don't be shy. Anyone have any questions? Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. All
5: right. So, for you, Ben, I'm curious about the PD Academy that you're tonight, and how do you balance that with balance first? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think. Uh, it looks different for different people. I mean, people are there for different reasons. Some people are there to, to renew their license, so it's actually easier than going out and you know, doing it somewhere else. Uh, I think we're really flexible. We do a lot of the courses that are either purely online or blended, so they only meet a few times throughout the year. We also have teachers who are running courses inside their building now. So we're sort of more, we create like shells of courses, and then we kind of like outsource them to different buildings. Hey, you're interested in that. Hey, you, How would you like to run this class? so I think it just it's being flexible with folks but um, the other thing that I will mention just transparency that we have is that our teachers receive a voucher every year for one credit hour in lieu of like any tuition reimbursement so we kind of have and they can use it in the Academy so it really does help promote kind of internal PD and in, in the other districts I've been in that hasn't been the case So, um,
1: and to kind of piggyback on what Vince said um, part of the way at least one of the courses vince and i set up surrounding sel this year um, really focus on linking what teachers are doing in their classroom and their practice um, every day and really trying encouraging them we gave them um, different simple tools um, for example one of them was a readiness ruler Um, which is just a strategy they could use with students to kind of gauge how where they were emotionally academically how ready they were to learn and by using that simple tool uh, we really wanted them to kind of take that risk and use it in their classroom and report back to us was it successful was it not is it something you would use in the future Um, and then create a learning community where a math teacher might have used a certain strategy one way and um, you know a phys ed teacher used it another way so it kind of creates a community of learners but really that key component of this is not something else and instead being job embedded um, I think makes it very meaningful for people and they see it as um, very relevant to the work they're already doing when they're planning and instructing courses.
0: Any other questions?
2: yeah so our school counselors it kinda looks different at the different um, grade levels so like in the elementary level um, they're going into the classroom and just teaching basic social emotional learning skills um... so they're use what Go? Go yes, Sanford Harmony. Oh, the Sanford Harmony. Sorry, I forget the the names of all of them. There's so many of them, they get thrown at us, um, like Katie had mentioned. So, yeah, the the elementary counselors are following the Sanford Harmony curriculum, which is actually a free curriculum that um, the state of New York is using for their SEL um, components as well. So, they all got trained on that and are starting to incorporate that. Um, one of the pieces, so they're the school counselors in the elementary level end up getting put in charge of a lot of like the mandates that we have so like the the opioid mandate for k-12 so they're the ones focusing on that in the elementaries we also use community partners so we have um, drug-free Delaware and um, recovery and prevention services in Delaware County who will come in and do different education components Um, another thing that the school counselors are doing is um, Safer, Smarter Kids, which is a child abuse prevention um, curriculum that we got through Children's Hospital. They came and trained us on that. Um, so they're using that for the child abuse prevention. Um, and then different buildings are, are using different things as well, but they're basically doing classroom push ins to do the SEL kind of work in the classroom. Um, some, like about half of our buildings, the counselors are part of the uh, specials rotation. So part of that music, gym, art. And counselor, so it kind of goes and in, in that part. So they're part of that rotation in which they they focus on um, just being a good person and and how to build good friendships and things like that. Um, And then our school counselors do end up doing some, a little bit of tier two support where they might be pulling out students for groups, lunch bunches, um, divorced parents groups, stress and anxiety groups, um, or maybe some individual work if we have students with higher needs for short term. Um, And then if it gets to a point, then we push them on to the school social workers to be able to provide that secondary, more intensive support. Does that answer your question? Here's the question. Yes. yeah so our school social workers are through our district the uh, the four school social workers that we have currently Um, and then for the mental health specialists we have one mental health specialist through district and then we have a partnership with Centero um, who is doing our K 8 support? And then this year we just started with OSU and they're providing our high school support. So we have um, this year for the first time we have one full time mental health specialist at every high school and then a fifth uh, clinician who's leading that team and then doing overflow and crisis management and things like that at the high school level.
4: So when you say 19,
2: no that doesn't include school counselors so a 19 additional so if I include school counselors we have 48 school counselors um, 48 school counselors and then we have school psychs as well I think we have like 26 school psychs now unfortunately they end up doing a lot of testing and things like that and not as much mental health support but yeah the 19 are specifically mental health focused that that's really all they're doing yep 48 school counselors. So we have, <laughs> so, well, remember, we're a very, very large we have district. Buildings. So, yeah, we have, we have 24 buildings. So we have one 20, at every 000. elementary school, um, one school counselor at every elementary school. We have um, two to three school counselors in the middle school, depending on how many kids are in each middle school. And then we have three to six um, counselors at the high school, again, depending on enrollment. Yeah, go ahead.
4: I'm just going to kind of piggyback off that. So you guys are a huge school district. Absolutely,
2: yes. Um, and it sounds like a lot of your positions were probably created in the past five years or less. I'm um, yeah, Vince, you're probably here the hard. longest. Yeah, but yeah, but this, yeah, essentially, so, yes. Yes. Well, yes. Yes, absolutely. Guess,
4: yeah. Can you speak on some of smaller, I mean, I think everyone here is probably smaller. Guys, yeah. Like, what does that look like? Or can you give me advice um, to maybe some smaller school districts who can't have, all these people wearing hats or 48 school counselors. How do we get this ball rolling there?
2: Um, one of the things that I can mention, so we start recently um, started a central ohio well being networking, so people who are in our similar roles are all getting together so it's Olin tangy and Bexley and Upper Arlington and New Albany and Hilliard Dublin, lots and lots of people, and we all do a little bit different things so um, for example, New Albany is quite a bit smaller than us, so he he does our similar role, um, but he also does like safety and security and f- is it food service or is it transportation Transportation. something else weird like we're like oh that's a weird thing for to add into student well-being um so it's almost like lumping so there are other districts where somebody does something i do and what um what jackie does so trying to figure out ways that somebody could do something that lumps some of the positions together would be one way um and i'll open it for me like from
4: my standpoint like we're starting the more conversations we have the more we start to see overlap and then it's almost like okay wait are you doing that or am I doing that like whose work is this really and who's taking the lead on it because if we're all kind of having the hand in the pot then sometimes balls don't get going um, but ultimately at the end of the day the building principles are the ones that are really leading the charge I mean I have a couple of them here like so I feel like while we might have people that are supervising it from the district standpoint of it a lot of it does rest on the building
2: administration to kind of lead the efforts in executing the plans that we are bringing to them. Um, even though we're all individually one person, that's still one person can't go and do the same thing at 24 buildings to be able to roll whatever it is out. So it does fall a lot onto the administrators. Yeah.
3: I was also just gonna mention that when you hear the large number I mean it sounds like oh my goodness that's so many but I think to keep in mind that we also started at a place where maybe we didn't have any or we had one or two so in terms of diversity initiatives specifically we started out with one teacher on special assignment that worked part-time and now you know I'm a full-time administrator we have a k-12 supplemental position and then we have a diversity liaison in all 25 of our buildings that receives a supplemental but it's grown over time. Like, we started in volunteer capacity of who's interested in helping to do this professional development in the building. We looked for those overlaps. Um, And so, especially with RTI or MTSS and diversity, like, our both of our roles are so intertwined because it's all about equity. Like, whether you're looking at RTI, whether you're looking at diversity, it's all about equity. So, finding those, I think, natural pairings and knowing, like, it will start small, but over time, it'll be something that can grow and it might take a while to do so but just one foot in front of the other and over time it'll grow
1: Um, I'd say also our superintendent and our district leadership team um, really value this and that's huge um, because you really and truly you know where you put your money and supports is what is what you value you know and you know saying you value mental health or socio-emotional learning or whatever it may be unless you're actually giving people resources and personnel to support that it's just lip service and i really feel like our superintendent and our uh, district leadership team are committed but i also think as much as we have um, support from our um, superintendent um, we also getting that teacher input kind of boots on the ground Um, you know central office folks can come in and we're very hesitant about kind of prescribing these programs um, because it becomes another thing you know next week it'll be literacy and the week after that it's something else so really like uh, Vincent mentioned um, just approaching it more as a learning opportunity and for growth within the organization I think is really
5: important Mm -hmm. One, one other little point I would make I think the importance of having a focus because um, I mean, I came from a very small district before this, and you would think that it'd be easy in a small place to have a focus. It's it's just as hard. Um, there's different challenges, but we're still working through that. But the biggest point is we work together on almost everything, so like we we're not afraid to work on each other's work. So it it like I, I guess it's just the kind of how our teams built too, and the people we have on our team, which is an amazing team of people to work on. So, but having that focus is key. So. Mm-hmm. I- I think
1: also um, making community connections we utilize resources and educators and prevention educators and mental health groups and um, our parents some of you know um, networks they're in just to really it has to be it's a community effort
2: because there's a lot a lot more funding out there than people know about that that community agencies are getting to do this work um, but you have to kind of go out and find it and kind of talk to people about it when I first started I didn't realize that I could go to the mental health board in Delaware County and say hey will you partner with us to provide these mental health people that was how we started that was I went and got matching dollars from the mental health board to pay for those first few mental health specialists in the mm-hmm. district um, and then I will never have I know it sounds like a, again a large number I will never have enough mental health people to actually support the number of kids that need direct mental health support in our district so that's why a big focus of what I've been doing is like how can I give the teachers who are seeing the kids on a regular basis every day the tools that they need to again at least be that universal support that if a kid comes to them and say hey I'm struggling with X or I've been thinking about hurting myself that I don't have a math teacher who goes oh crap what do I do now (laughs) so they know what to say how to approach it and who to get that kid to to talk to
1: I think, um, and hopefully this will answer your question a little bit. That was something, you know, initially part of our cell. And I think what that cell of SEL is is that, well, if kids um, are self-regulated or have these healthy relationships, that they'll increase their academic achievement. And I think for us, we had to go and take that next step, which is, it's great if kids do even better on their state test. That's great if more kids are on honor roll, but. We want to make good kids, we wanna make positive kids. So it has to be for us. I think that next step was kind of um saying this is a, more than just the academics. Oh no, I understand
0: that. I just didn't know if you were doing any parallel data gathering in terms of the impact of what you're doing in these different areas.
1: Because I just oh, think here. the one mm-hmm. is a Yeah, I think that's kind of where Morgan and I, a lot of our positions, um, and even Jackie, too, um, we do share data sets. So, again, moving from the RTI to that MTSS, not only looking at the academics, but then, for example, we use uh, Panorama Education uh, to kind of have a matrix of how we are measuring that growth with our students. And um,
4: to kind of look at it from a bigger lens you know what is it building-wide that we need to work on that we can address as a building what is it classroom-wide and what is it student level that we need to work on and then how can we look at that from fall to winter or from fall to spring to see if we are growing or from year to year and since it is so new we haven't really started to see any trends yet really um, because it is just starting to get going people are starting to review the data the counselors are being trained on how to interpret the data and share the data um, but over time, we're hoping that we can show the direct mm-hmm. impact that we that we have. Um.
2: Yeah, so last year we um, started implementing a a survey tool called Panorama Education. I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with that, but it's a social-emotional learning survey tool that you pick. There's like 26 different um, competencies that you can measure. They let you pick five to seven. Um, So our focus has been on, at an individual level, looking at students' um, emotional regulation, their, um, their anxiety, and relationships. Yes, relationship building, but that's at the building level stress and anxiety, um, sense of belonging, school safety. So we've been able to collect that data. We just started it last year. So again, we're not really seeing that trend yet. Um, but as we collect that, we can see this student went from having a two, in anxiety, rating themselves as a two, which is low in anxiety, to then in the spring, after we implemented some tools, they're now at a three. Um, or at the next year, we're able to see that they're growing in that. And then we can see it at an individual at a building at a district level. So we are starting to see that. I think a difficulty with comparing the academics and the social-emotional is because, again, our district is high-achieving. So we have lots of kids. I mean, our graduation grade is great and all this kind of stuff. So So it's difficult to see that maybe academic growth um, as much as you might see in other districts who have more kids who are struggling academically Um, but I guess maybe my individual approach is are we doing less um, suicidal ideation risk assessments (laughs) are we having less behavior referrals and things like that Um, so looking at those pieces are yeah our attendance issues decreasing things so yeah yeah we definitely started looking at that in the last probably year or so and I think um... I was going to say even um,
1: Morgan and I just started looking at one of the pieces in the climate culture that we measure a sense of belonging and kind of looking at school attendance. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel like you belong, you might not be attending school and then pulling in kind of Jackie's role in diversity and saying, looking at our um, smaller student groups and saying, how, how are these students feeling about belonging at school? And is that impacting attendance, which then impacts grades. So I think it's all kind of becoming more fluid as we have more, um, term data sets.
3: Okay.
1: I've got one comment
5: one question. Sure. One thing, you guys have, I
2: think, a over 21000 students. Over 22 uh, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> over Oh, wow. I <laughs> um, one of our high schools. Yeah, so we do three levels that are individual students, and that's anxiety, emotional regulation, and for some reason I can't remember the third one. Can anyone else remember? So Katie and I are pregnant, so we also have pregnancy <laughs> brains. So I was going to add that in there. But yeah, so those did you guys three. Get any pushback from the families the <coughs> collecting all Oh, did we? Yes, yes, we did. Currently, still yes. getting it. Yeah, currently the complete hotline is currently open for our next uh, <laughs> panorama in March. So, so yes, we did get pushback. Um, uh, not like a massive amount not ridiculous numbers but we certainly have some people in our district who don't quite understand why some, some of the questions we get are just well what are you doing with this data why does it matter and once we kind of explain that to them they're like oh yeah that's fine um, and then we have others who are kind of against that that's the parents role that we should we're doing that at home we don't want you doing that kind of stuff and so we have an opt-out option so if, if families want to opt out we let them opt out we just do a quick Qualtrics survey that they just fill out their kids information and we pull them and make sure that they don't take that survey um, or questionnaire I guess we call it but but yeah so the, I mean you're gonna get pushed back for anything that you do honestly so yeah mm-hmm.
3: I think another important piece is we've tried to also share with like very transparently like how we're planning on using the data and letting them know that like Panorama for Education right now is not a diagnostic tool. Like they've not gone through the research process to have it be diagnostic in any way. So we can look at it as one blip in a much larger picture of looking at data when we're talking about, you know, students in crisis or preventative or through RTI. Um, But I think that piece, like being very transparent about how you're planning on using the data I think
2: is, goes a long way with families, like that transparency. Social awareness is the third one. I just got it. Sorry. So, again, anxiety, and then we were trying to measure, like, that empathy piece, um, and then the emotional regulation was the third piece, yeah. If I think about it long enough. Yeah. When you said you, like, took some of your panorama and say and then compared
4: it to things like attendance, So we have a system called performance matters, um, that kind of pulls in all of our data and then it can build a data kind of spreadsheet so I can put their early warning indicator for attendance and then pull in their panorama data right next to it. So we can start to see, you know, where they are in terms of, are they low on some of these things and low on attendance? Can we start to maybe problem solve as far as this could be leading to their attendance?
2: manual um, and panorama actually does have a secondary platform that integrates with their own that's called student success that will also do that we're still using our other platform because that's what we've been using for our academics Um, but they do have it that you can input test scores and um, attendance and all that it will pull from all your student information system and then do the same kind of a thing where it'll look at their panorama score with their attendance and with their grades and stuff Mm -hmm.
0: We've got time for one more question Go ahead, ma'am. Okay. I, so earlier you said there are so many SEL choices, um, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you have some building-wide. Do you think there's value in having any sort of homogeny within a district so that they all speak the same language? Mm-hmm. And if so, um,
4: what's your uh, favorite? <laughs> 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 I, guess, I Well, I guess here... I, the, get my water out of
5: the way sorry this is a big we we debate this a lot so I mean the idea we're not the the interesting thing about our district is that we are one of the fastest growing in Ohio so we've grown so quickly that there's autonomy is kind of a necessity like we've just let people kind of do it their own way to a certain extent so we always try to like teeter between we don't do programs a lot in, in our district so our teachers aren't used to that especially at the secondary level so with the elementary I think There is a lot more opportunity to say, listen, we're doing Sanford Harmony. That's that's what we're doing for social-emotional learning. But that doesn't completely solve what's going on, the day-to-day interaction between teacher and student, which is, I feel like, the tier one kind of intervention. So we've more taken that on of sharing these tools with people, building a tool belt for them, and then letting them integrate it. And those tools are coming from lots of places. They're coming from Panorama's Playbook. They're coming from Character Lab, which is – Angela Duckworth's organization. We're actually part of the Character Lab Research Network. Um, They're coming from lots of places, but we're sort of vetting those. The secondary level, I think there's some opportunity. Uh, There's a program that we haven't (coughs) implemented yet called RULER through Yale around emotional intelligence. We're really interested in that for the secondary classroom uh, because it's simple. It has four tools. The whole program is four tools, which um, I think something like that could work for us, but It's a struggle at the secondary level, especially.
2: And I would say it's a double-edged sword because on one hand, I would love our district to be, if you go to this school, it doesn't matter. If you go to that school, it doesn't matter. But our schools look so different from school to school to school um, that there does have to be some of that individuality because... We have one school that has a much higher free and reduced lunch rate than another school, and so the things that, that those students are struggling with look a lot different than the other um, school. So there does have to be a little bit of that autonomy, um, but on the other hand, like I said, it does drive me a little crazy when I'm like, "Well, why is this person getting a full curriculum on drug and alcohol prevention, but this person's just doing Red Ribbon Week?" So it kind of like we're trying to adjust that a bit, with also again keeping in mind the differences among our. 24 26 buildings I think also we
1: work with our principals who work with teachers to decide I think sometimes when you do blanket (coughs) programs teachers aren't bought in it's not their own it's just some product so really letting um, individual teachers and buildings decide what resources they want and then supporting that and making sure they're vetted and research-based encourages people then to actually use what you're paying for
0: Great. Thank you so much. We want to thank Tanji for coming out and sharing the important work they're doing in their districts. I'm sure we all t- have some great pointers and takeaways that we're going to utilize. Thank you all for coming.
1: Thank you.